You're listening to Broadview Church Sermon Audio. For more information or to donate to this ministry, go to broadviewchurch.ca. Very good to be here with you all. I love the song, There Will Be a Day. As some of you know, my father passed away last week, and on Friday we laid him to rest, and he's home. He is with the Lord. And the rest of us are waiting till we can join him. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Richard Schlitt. Um, with my wife, Marilyn, we are some of your supported missionaries. A little over 40 years ago, we were in what was the church then, now the chapel. And we're commissioned, and we headed off to the Philippines and spent 30 years in the Philippines. And then we moved on to Singapore and spent six years there overseeing the breadth of the work of OMF, the mission we're with, and then four years in Hong Kong, um, overseeing that little chunk of the world, which I, I know we're streaming, so there's times that I can't say as much as I would want to say about the ministries we were involved in. And we moved back to Canada at the end of 2019, just in time to catch COVID. Well, not to catch COVID, to be within the COVID new realities. And uh, I'm currently directing OMF for Canada, so we're still active in ministry and very glad to be with you today when Pastor John, I was writing him about something else and he said, um, well, how would you like to speak on a third? I said, sure. I mean, we're literally just down the road in Alvisford. And not knowing that between the time we agreed and coming here, Dad would pass away. So we were here anyway, um, so it was quite a weekend. But very good to be with you, to celebrate with you. If I did hear the prayer correctly earlier, I think it was said that Dad was, that Paul Schlitt was going to speak. Well, in, in a sense, in a sense, though he is dead, yet he speaks. And as his son, who was so impacted by his spirituality, yeah, I speak because of what I have learned through my father. Uh, we're going to go old school today. I didn't know that uh, PowerPoints were not compatible with the system here. So you need to have a Bible in whatever form you carry your Bible, and you need to engage fully with your heart and your imagination and there won't be any pictures up in the slides, but I will tell you what verses we're looking at and ask that you engage with me in those. What I've titled today is Journey of Faith. Journey of Faith. Yeah, there will be a day we just sang. We look forward to that. But backing away up, we're, we're all engaged in this journey. And I began thinking about this a few years back, um, probably as I was getting into my upper 50s and and kind of looking forward to a time when I could kind of relax a bit and maybe disengage a little bit. And I realized, no, there's something very wrong with that thinking. There is no point in which we stop in that journey of walking with the Lord. We, 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 don't, we don't get a vacation. We don't... Um, go on, leave. We don't retire from walking with the Lord. 
It is a journey, amen. It's a journey until we close our eyes for the last time, as my father did. He, he, for those of you who don't know, he passed away in the most beautiful way. He went to sleep on the Sunday before. Didn't open his eyes again until Friday a week ago and passed into the presence of the Lord. So he moved into his eternal rest. And his journey on this earth of faith was finished. As we think about the journey of faith, and, and I, you know, I have to admit, I hit 65 this year, so you, you begin to think of things maybe I, as an old-timer now. Uh, some of you think I'm still young, and I love that. But we, we are on this journey. It needs to be God's journey. And there are particular times that God meets us in the journey. He's with us all the time, but there's times that he meets us in new and challenging ways. So the two primary passages I'm going to look at this morning are in Exodus 19 and Exodus 34. So you can put fingers in those or mark them however you like. Um, we'll get there. There's a book some of you will have seen by Eugene Peterson, and the title of his book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Now, Peterson admits that he didn't come up with that title. He actually got it from Nietzsche. But that's irrelevant. Uh, Peterson it, um, uses that title as he writes a book on Ecclesiastes. But it's the title I love so much. It is A Long Obedience in the same direction. At least it should be. Our lives should be along obedience in one direction. Now, if we're honest, um, we all have our times where we are not consistent in our obedience. And, and I would like to call us to a, a consistent obedience as we look at Scripture this morning. This whole concept of journey is something that's very common in Scripture. Uh, Abraham. Abraham sojourned. He journeyed and wandered around Canaan, waiting for the time God would give it to his ancestors. Isaac, Jacob, similarly, in that journey. Moses. Moses had amazing journeys. Um, and we'll look quite a bit at Moses' life. I'm drawing heavily from the Exodus and Moses as we look at Scripture this morning. Saul. Saul of Tarsus was on a journey when he met God. When God broke in and said, Saul, why are you fighting against me? And Saul met God and was transformed. The exodus of the children of Israel could have taken three months, as I understand from the time they left Egypt until they arrived in Canaan. It took 40 years. So they got some sidetracks in their journey because of disobedience, and they had to be corrected. They, they did get there. God was with them all the way. So this morning we want to learn some of the lessons, some of the longer view lessons that come from Israel's journey, from leaving Egypt, wandering in a desert. So my first point is the journey, the journey should be God's journey. It should be God's timing and it should be God's way. I'm going to take you into several stories, and uh, I don't know everybody's familiarity with the Bible. Some of you may be so familiar, you're absolutely right with me. To some of you, I'll make reference to stories that may be newer to you, and so I'll try to give enough background 
for those to whom these pieces of the story are newer. But Moses, who was a child born in slavery, grew up in the palace because of God's design that he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. Forty years into his life, and Moses knows that he does not belong to the princess. He belongs to the Israelites. And he goes out, and he sees an Egyptian beating on one of his people, an Israelite. And Moses is motivated by justice issues. Moses is willing to get in, to get into the action, to intervene, all good things. So Moses jumps in, and this story is found in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 to 15, but I'll just tell you some of these stories. Moses sees this injustice, and he jumps in to intervene. He ends up killing the Egyptian. He's hopeful that his people will see that he's going to be their deliverer. Next day he comes back and he sees two Israelites fighting. He says, hey guys, what's with you? And they said, well, who do you think you are? Are you going to kill us too? And Moses realizes that nobody's embracing him as deliverer and he runs for his life. And he runs for 40 years. Heads off to the backside of the desert. This highly educated man is now chasing sheep around the desert. But God is with him. And one of the things that we need to be fully cognizant, fully aware of, is that God is always with us in the journey. It's us who move away from him at times, but he's there. He's there either to step in or he's there waiting for us to come back and acknowledge him. So the second thing I want to look at is that God does reveal himself in the journey. And I could tell you lots of stories of God revealing himself to me. My own experience has been that at those times when God wants me to change a direction, that's when he shows up in very unexpected ways. So when I was 17, sitting, we were in Prince George, that's where I grew up, and in our annual missions conference, and the speakers speaking as they do every year, and God spoke to me and said, you told me that if I called you, you would go into missions. Now I'm calling you, will you go or not? And I knew it was God speaking, and I said, yes. I'll go. And that changed my life. That turned my path from probably going into business to preparing to go overseas and going overseas. In, in Maryland's and my experience in missions, there are specific times that God would show up. We, we did our first term church planters, church planting amongst the, amongst the Filipino majority people. And as that four years was coming to an end, God very unexpectedly broke into my Silence. I was reading a really good book on missions, and, and, and God just said to me, Maginanao. And I said, is that really you, Lord? Maginanao was a Muslim people in the southern Philippines, a feared people. Lord, are you telling us to go there? And the Lord confirmed, yes, I am. And we spent our next number of years working amongst the Muslims. And so our experience is God does break in. For us, it has been when he wanted to change our direction. But we need to keep 
keep journeying. So here we have Moses. Moses, who seemingly has given up that he's ever going to see anything unique and special, he's just looking after the sheep. Yeah, he's gotten married, he's got two sons, and he's looking after sheep. And all of a sudden, as he's out in the backside of the desert, there's a bush burning, which isn't absolutely unusual. Um, I don't know if you got the heat dome here like we had down in Abbotsford. Wow, that was hot. Uh, in the desert, that can happen, and that can actually cause uh, a spontaneous combustion. But, but this bush wasn't burning up. So he goes over to check it out. And God says to him, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. And God begins to engage with Moses about the next part of his life. Moses needed to respond to God's promptings, as we do. I have always found that when it is the Spirit of God speaking, I actually know it is the Spirit of God. We, we do need to test it with others. And, and I told you of, of when I felt God prompting us to go to the Muslims of the southern Philippines, I did take it to my leadership. Um, they were a little taken aback because they thought they understood the plans for our ministry. But they also came to embrace, yes, this is God speaking. So Moses goes, sees the bush, God speaks to him. And God says, I've been watching. I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cry and I have come down. And that's a very encouraging word to Moses. Of course, we know the long encounter where Moses tries to wiggle out of doing the job God is calling him to do. But God was watching all the time, and it was God's timing to engage his people in a delivery. And actually, God had told them before. God had said to Jacob, after 400 years, you're going to go down to Egypt. And after 400 years, you're going to come back. So nothing was out of plan. And this is something that we have to really come to understand and embrace. Because when, when things aren't going as we think they should. We're saying, oh God, where are you? And did you forget? And how can this be? And, you know, a good God wouldn't allow this kind of thing. And God said, no, I, I was there all the time. And this is the time that I had foreordained and chosen to bring about this delivery. There were things that needed to be in place before I could bring about this delivery. And God said, and I'm going to confront Pharaoh. God not only confronts and steps into the life of his people, God also steps into the lives of those who do not acknowledge him. We think of the, the, the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king at that time, had the whole span of civilization under his rule, and God broke in and said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are not the highest one. I am. And God is going to do the same thing to Pharaoh, who thought he was the greatest one. And this is still true today. As our leaders, our presidents, our prime ministers think that they are leading the nations of the earth. And some of them think they're the greatest leader of the earth. And if you read Psalm 2, it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. And it's not laughing with, it's laughing at. And then he terrorizes them. And so be warned, 
all you leaders of the nations who think that you're in charge, God's laughing, and he's going to step in and do his plan. And we as believers are caught up in those actions of the nations. We have lived in nations and been under the authority, the human authorities of those who are enemies of God. And we have Christians, brothers and sisters living in countries that their freedoms are absolutely restricted. I, I just read a prayer letter of a former co-worker who used to work with us in the Philippines. Now he's working in Australia with Afghanis. And he said his Afghani friends in Australia are telling him that the Taliban have committed to wipe out the Christians. The Christians have a choice. This is the freedom of Islam. You have the freedom to become a Muslim or we'll kill you. Well, we have brothers and sisters living under these kind of things. And it's hard to watch. And yet, we know the Lord is with his people. And that's one of the great truths of Scripture. One of the things that I want us to come away with this morning. God breaks in at specific times, but God is always with his people. And that is, the ab that is one of the absolute differences between Christianity and any other religion. No other religion has their God walking with them. And there's so many other key things about Christianity. But God is with us. God promises to be with us. So just moving quickly ahead in the story, the Moses goes back to Egypt, confronts the king. The king, Pharaoh, um, well, first of all, Moses tells the people, God has heard, God has seen, God has come down to rescue you. And they're thrilled. We've been waiting for this. But their expectation is, good, we're out of here. Let's go. Well, then the next day, Moses goes down and confronts Pharaoh and says, the Lord, God, says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Because Pharaoh thinks he's top guy. And he says, well, the problem is the people are just lazy. Let's make them work harder. And we know, most of us know the stories how the children of Israel who are slaves now have to go and gather their own straw to make the bricks and it gets much worse. And, and they come running back to Moses and say, Moses, what is this? You, you told us. You told us you're gonna, this was God's deliverance and yet things have gotten worse. And Moses runs back to God and says, God, what is this? You told me you were going to deliver them. And God says, watch. Watch me. Yes, I'm going to deliver you. But I am going to do a number on Pharaoh first. And so they had to go through the difficult times. And that's, again, one of the truths that we need to hold on to. Is that in our journey, we go through. And God is with us in the journey. And sometimes, I love the psalm, I didn't look up the number of the psalm, but though his footprints were not seen, there are times that we don't see God's hands, we don't see God's footprint. He is there, and he is watching over us, and he is with us, and he will take us through. So God said he's going to, 
he's going to terrify. He's going to, he's going to take the people out. Go through the ten plagues, Passover, departure, and God says to the Israelites through Moses, ask, ask the Egyptians for anything. And so they pillage the Egyptians. Gold, clothing, everything. And they march out. And they march out boldly. And I'm, I'm looking at a couple of verses here in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? So they've just said, get out. We can't take it. Then, they, oh man, that was a bad decision. We lost our slaves. What have we done? Verse 8. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We have to note that. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. And I love this, and I've got this bullet on my text here. They're, ah, oh, we're free, praise God, we're out of here. They're marching out boldly. And then they turn around, and in, in literally two verses later, Exodus 14.10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. So they, they've just been, ah, we're free, they're marching out boldly. Oops, look what's going on behind us, and they're terrified. This is the reality. We, we tend to want God to give us a nice and smooth and easy road. Hey, I'm on God's path. All is good. That is not what he promises us. What he promises us is that he will be with us and will take us to the end of the journey. As the Egyptians are, are marching out behind, they, the Israelites are up against the Red Sea. They feel boxed in. Mountains on both sides, Red Sea in front, and, and they're crying out to Moses. Moses, what'd you do? How come you brought us here? Look at, we're going to die, we're going to die. And Moses begins to say, God, what did you do? And God says, Moses, do you please be quiet? Lift up your staff, stretch it out over the Red Sea, and go forward. And God opens up the Red Sea, and that nation of a million people walks through on dry ground. And as you read scriptures, that is a reference point that comes up many, many times. I haven't tried to count how many times that comes up in scripture to the Israelites that they refer back to the Red Sea crossing they walk through. God intervened in their time of crisis. And that God who intervened continues to be the God who is there. We need to remember the times that Red Sea crossing was for us too. We look back at that and said, if God could intervene then, he can intervene now. I am reminded of the uh, friends of Daniel, the three friends who are confronted by King Nebuchadnezzar, bow down and worship the image or get thrown in a furnace. And they very accurately and boldly say, we will not bow down. Our God is able to deliver us. We remember the Red Sea crossing. He is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, O king, we will not bow down. Able. We know he's able. We don't always understand what he does choose to do. But what he does choose to do 
is always good and right. There's another scripture, I think it's Isaiah 58, 57, 58. The righteous perish, and no one ponders why. But the righteous perish to be taken out of trouble. And so some of our brothers and sisters who die under extreme leadership, anti-God leadership in some of the nations of the earth, are taken out of trouble. And that's God's way. I want to take you now to Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, God again meets with his people. And God again gives something to the Israelites that is to be with them as a burning memory forever. I was going to ask you to throw your imaginations in full high gear as we go through this, even though I had the PowerPoint. So this is perfect. You've got to engage your, your minds and imaginations on this. Old school, we don't have um, any, we're, we're so used to everything we see on YouTube. Exodus chapter 19. They've come to the mountain. God had said to Moses, back at the burning bush, I will bring you back here to worship, and that will be a sign that it's me. Now they're back, a million strong. In verse 10 of chapter 19, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. How long was it going to take to prepare? Three days. And I think that is noteworthy as well. I've had privilege to, to worship God with congregations in many nations. Very memorable in Korea, South Korea. You walk into church and nobody speaks and nobody greets. And everybody goes to their place and either sits with their head down or kneels. And they're preparing to have a special encounter with God. I'm not saying we must do that. I'm saying that's a great practice because we tend to rush into God's presence. Hi, God, I'm here. Quickly, quickly, I've got two minutes for you. Then I got to go. They took three days to get ready to meet with God. And then God came down on the mountain. So on the third day, I'm in Exodus 19, verse 16, but you have to have your imaginations fully active here. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. We've just had thunder and lightning here. We've had a rough summer. Um, it sparked some fires. This was way beyond that. Thunder and lightning with a thick cloud covered the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And get the picture. The mountain is trembling violently. There's a trumpet blast that's getting louder and louder. There's smoke like a furnace ripping up off the top of the mountain. There's thunder and lightning. And the people are terrified. And they're meeting with God. And this is our God. And this is one of the pictures that needs to stay in our hearts and minds. Yes, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. And it is such a great and true promise. But God is also the God of Exodus 19, where as he came down, still in a limited presence, it ripped the mountain. Thunder, lightning, trumpet, smoke, as God was coming down on the mountain. If you go to chapter 20, verse 18, the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain smoke and they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They were terrified. They were coming to meet with God. They were looking for a nice encounter and it terrified them when God met with them. The next verse is so profound. We have to fully capture this. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. So that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. If we have anywhere near to an accurate picture, concept of God in our hearts and minds, it will keep us from sinning. But we go on to the next passage, and I'm jumping up to chapter 32. Again, a very well-known story. Moses is up the mountain for 40 days. Moses is still up the mountain. As far as I can understand, the mountain, the smoke is still going up from the top of the mountain. And the Israelites come to Aaron and say, Aaron, we don't know what happened to that guy Moses. For all we know, he got consumed up there. Make us gods that will go before us. Make us gods that will go before us. And Aaron, and this is unbelievable, Aaron, the high priest who had been on the mountain and met with God, told him to give him the gold, and he fashioned a golden calf like the gods they had seen in Egypt. And Aaron said, Here are your gods, O Israel. And God said to Moses, get down the mountain. Because the people now with these new, less scary gods sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. And it wasn't just playing in a park. It was revelry, immoral revelry. Because God was no longer frightening. Man, that God on on the smoking mountain, that's scary, but... This new version we've made, we can handle this. And we can do what we want. That is why our view of God needs to be something close to accurate. It'll never be perfect. But it needs to be somewhere close. Because God said, that frightening experience on Exodus 19, mountain, will keep you from evil. But we have this tendency to recreate God in our own image or at least something a little nicer, we think, and then it has no impact on our lives. We, we must remember the God of Exodus 19, the God on the mountain. He has never changed. He doesn't always come in that way, but he has never changed. Well, then God says to Moses, 
Moses comes down, smashes the Ten Commandments, rebukes the people, the people repent. And then Moses, and I'm, I'm in chapter 33 now, Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, so this, this is now my third point of, of meeting with God and seeking to know God in new ways. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Because the Lord had said to Moses, I can't go with these people. They're stiff-necked people, I'll kill them. I will have to strike them dead. And Moses argued back, no, no, they're your people. And God said, I'll make a new people from you, Moses. And Moses said, no way. You stick with this people. They're your people. What are other nations going to say if they know that you wiped them out? It's a really interesting exchange, which is really helping Moses theologize. My PowerPoint slipped, but that's okay. So Moses has said, Here we are. You say to me, lead these people, but you haven't told me who you'll send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. The Lord has said to Moses, no, I'm, I'm good with you, just not the rest of those. Verse 13. If you are pleased with me. Now catch this next phrase. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. Teach me your ways. This is Moses who has been 40 days and 40 nights on top of the mountain in this consuming smoke, meeting with God. He knows God like nobody else does. God said of him, this man I meet with face to face, not like any others. And yet this Moses who knew God so intensely says, I don't know Enough. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. And that needs to be the burning cry of all of our hearts. God, I'm, I'm grateful for what I know, but it's not enough. Teach me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. And the Lord says to him in verse 14, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now notice what he did not say. God did not say, okay, I've got a new easy plan for you. The plan never changed. Moses still had to lead these obstinate people. And God knew it was going to take 40 years to cross the desert. And knew all the failings. God didn't remove any of that. He said, my presence will go with you. And in my presence, you will have rest. The circumstances have nothing to do with our ability to rest in the Lord. Circumstances are absolutely secondary. We can rest. We're called to rest. The New Testament kind of equivalent of that is in Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 5, where the writer of Hebrews says, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's a promise. And that's a, 
the New Testament promises, no question. The Old Testament's for us too, but you know, if there's any question in your mind, that's New Testament. To all of God's people, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Our God promises to be present with us. And so the writer says, and so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, Lord's my helper. I don't need to be afraid. He is with me. What can man do to me? So back into our Exodus story. Moses is actually still not satisfied. Exodus 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, Now, show me your glory. Teach me your ways. Thank you for your presence. Show me your glory. I want more of you. Verse 19, And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name in your presence. And he gives a little bit about the meaning of the name here. I will have mercy on who I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But God said to him, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Moses, you're asking to see my glory. No, that would kill you. That's too much. But I'll give you more. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. So then we get down to Exodus chapter 34, last verses we're going to be looking at. And the Lord, so chapter 34, verse 5, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. The Lord proclaimed his name, the Lord, which is Yahweh. As he passed in front of Moses, he was proclaiming. And if I can encourage you, here's some verses to memorize. The verses of the name of the Lord. So Exodus chapter 34, beginning in, in verse 6. As he passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the compassion and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Fantastic truth. This is God's name expanded. He is a God who is compassionate and gracious, and I am so grateful. He is slow to anger, and again, I'm grateful if he was quick to anger, I wouldn't be. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. Our God is a God of love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and I'm grateful for that. The next part is also true. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. That is deeply disturbing to me as a father that I can bring negative consequence to my kids 
by not following the Lord. I'm grateful for my father who gave us examples. First of all, in the morning devotions around the table. If he wasn't there, mom led. Then having personal devotions as a child. I was a bad reader as a child. I'm still a poor reader. But I struggled and I learned to read and, and came to have that life practice of no devotions, no breakfast. That was instilled back then. We, we learned to engage with God and listen to God each day. Because there is this warning part that he does punish the children as consequences generations down if we don't follow the Lord. So what, what is our God like? What is revealed in his name? He is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. He does abound in love and faithfulness. He maintains his love. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He punishes the guilty. That's also true. This is our God who is together with us in the journey. So how do we conclude? I do believe that we need to be intentionally spending time with this God. And I believe we need our personal times. We need our small group times. We need our corporate times. But we need that time. And, and you're here this morning because you want to spend that time. We need to spend time with God in the journey. We need to be deeply reflecting on what this God is like. One of the things that happens within the church is churches can take a particular aspect of the nature of God and focus on that and miss other parts. That's why that chapter 34 Exodus 34, 6 is very complete. It talks about his love and compassion, his slow to anger, his faithfulness, his forgiveness. But it also talks of the consequence of not following. And, and we need to have a, as accurate a view as, as we can have. We will never have a full accurate view. Moses was asking for more and he couldn't get there either. But we need to deeply reflect on who our God is because as we deeply reflect, that will help us through all aspects of life. I remember one of our difficult experiences standing in front of the casket of one of our workers. He had been shot the night before by a Muslim. And so in front of me now this next day is the casket with his body, his wife. They're both, we're 32, two-year-old daughter. The team is there and the team is just reeling. How do we make sense out of our coworker having just been shot. And I said to the team that night, I said, we, we all want to answer the question, why? But God doesn't promise to answer that question, not here and now. But the question he does answer is, who? Who is our God? And I challenge the team, Go back into what you know of the attributes of God and let that give some understanding to what we're experiencing as we stand before the body of our co-worker who has just been shot. Our God is an amazing God, but we must pursue the knowledge of the holy. 
we must continue to seek to know him. If you're early on in your path, fantastic. If you are been many years of following the Lord, don't stop. We will never exhaust the knowledge of the holy. But we are on a journey, and God is in that journey. We need to engage with him and recognize him in the journey, find him in the journey. Let him give understanding to parts of our journey. He doesn't take us out of the difficulties. He gives us rest in the midst of the difficulties. That is our God. He's an amazing God. But we need to pursue knowing him. Teach us your ways, O Lord, that we may know you. Let's pray together. Father, we stand or sit before you today, and we are in awe of who you are. And we know that we will never exhaust the knowledge of who you are. But we sure should try. Lord, help us not to be lazy. Help us not to be um, intentionally avoiding any of the realities of who you are. You are a good God. You're a loving God. You're a gracious God. You're a God of compassion. You're a God who gives good gifts to your children. You are a healer. You're a redeemer. You've redeemed us in Christ. We, we're going to celebrate that great time that you intervened into humanity. And Jesus came and gave his life. We rejoice in all that. But you're also God of justice. And you tell us very clearly there's only one way to stand in a right standing before you. There's only one way that we can rush into your presence as a child comes to Father, and that's through Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that hasn't embraced the forgiveness that comes from Jesus, may it be today. Thank you. Thank you for all you've given to us. But we stand in awe of you. We want to worship you. We want to reflect you accurately to the nations and to those around us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.